I'm a real supersonic, pass the ball like magic. Sean Kim or Larry Bird, the old school Mavericks. I got basketball cards, gonna sing a little more. I got basketball cards, now enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Godfather Nate Milton. And right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, show me your basketball cards. In the spirit of the great names of the past, like Dikembe Mutombo, and not Michael Jordan, but Baby Jordan, Harold Miner, Drazen, Arvidas, J.R. Ryder bringing that East Bay funk. I bring to you the man who met World Be Free and Danny Ferry, your host and my brother, Zaire, also known as Bandana Z. Welcome back to another episode of My Basketball Cards. And this is a big one, man. I got the biggest card, basketball card of my collection, in my opinion. We're going to talk about that in a second. But before that, let me introduce myself. I am Zaire. And a uh, big shout out to Paris Alexa, who sings the theme song to this show. You can check out her album, Too Real, on all streaming platforms. And another major shout out to Brother Nate Milton uh, for the intro of myself bandana z that's me that's right so yo check this out my basketball cards man it's so great to be back and i've done some learning about basketball card collecting man i've been a card collector since 1987 i was a young boy first pack of baseball cards i ever got at sears roebuck <laughs> okay I think it was just called Sears at the time, but I like saying Sears and the robot because I think that was like the old school name. Anyway, um, got my first pack of basketball cards in 89, and I just collected because I liked collecting cards. I liked sports. I love sports. I was a sports junkie as a kid all the way to like maybe my early 20s or something. Um, I just couldn't get enough, watch games all the time, blah, 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 blah. Um... You know, I still love sports, but I, I won't say I'm a junkie like I once was, but I am a junkie for things that I'm into. And so I've been getting an education in this 1980-81 series that we're doing. I didn't know that these cards, like I could tell that they are um, three cards in one. I could see that, but I thought that they were all printed the same way. One thing that I learned is that like, you could have a card that's, let's say, number 100 in a set, and it can be connected to number 25, and then the third card could be number uh, 201. Um, so there are, very, um, there are various combinations of which the cards are made. Now, what I did uh, last weekend was get uh, in my hands one of the Larry Bird rookies. Of this set now, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson's rookie year was 1979-80. Uh, their first basketball cards did not come out until the 1980-81 season. So, the number one rookie card for Magic Johnson and Larry Bird—they're actually on the same um, card, in a, technically, because what you have is. Magic Johnson, uh, Dr. J, and Larry Bird, all of the ca these cards, like they're printed, and then you can detach them. They're like uh, detachable 
uh, threads, I guess you could call them, on each card. So it's like each card is a mini card. It has three mini cards that make up one card. Um, if you want to make sure that the cards are worth money, you keep them together. You don't tear them apart. So, um, yeah, this one that I have, because there are three different Larry Bird um, mini cards in the set. One is just like a regular one. The other one is for him being a scoring leader. And the other one is for him being a rebounding leader. And I believe if I'm accurate in what I'm saying that each team had, you know, of course they have a scoring and rebounding leader and they got a, whoever was the scoring and rebounding leader and maybe even assist leader got a, um, an, an extra card in the set. So Larry Bird led his team in both scoring and rebounds his rookie season. So he ends up with three different cards, the regular card, the scoring card and the rebounding card. Now, Saying all that, the one that I have is probably the least uh, valuable out of the three. Um, Fred Brown is on the card along with Ron Brewer. Larry Bird is in the middle. On the left side, you got Fred Brown. On the right side, you got Ron Brewer. Now, this combination was printed out because I've seen it online since I've bought it. So other people have it. But... Um, you know, I think there are other combinations as well. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to talk about uh, these three players. Because this, this series, if you haven't listened to a previous episode, this uh, series, when we're talking about 8180 or 1980-81 Tops Cards, is about um, the players that kind of were stars prior to the NBA boom. We, we give credit to the NBA boom, you know, when Magic and Bird kind of arrived in the NBA, but it really started a little bit after that. Um, you know, without Magic and Bird, yeah, there's no NBA boom. But maybe it took about two or three seasons to really, really take hold because when the Celtics won their uh, championship uh, with Larry Bird for the first time in the 80... 81 season. Oh, I could be wrong. Hold on. Let me make sure I got that right. Yeah, I had to check. That's correct. When the Celtics won their first championship with Larry Bird in the 80-81 season, um, the finals were still on tape delay. You know, I heard a story about Cedric Maxwell, who was the MVP of those finals for the Celtics, where he talked about how, um, you know, his team had won the championship and then they flew out of Houston where they won the title, had a connecting flight in Atlanta to fly back to Boston. And while they were in the airport in Atlanta, um, the fans hadn't seen the game yet. The game was on tape delay. So people are watching them walk through the airport with the NBA championship and the game hadn't even aired on television. So that's where the NBA was at that time. It wasn't the number one game in the country. It wasn't the number two game in the country. And in many ways, it probably wasn't even the number three game in the country. You had NBA, I mean, you had uh, Major League Baseball, you had NFL football, of course, um, and probably maybe boxing and maybe um, maybe hockey and auto racing. I don't know. 
Um, I, NBA was in a competition for number three at the time. Um, so Magic and Bird really elevated the league, um, you know, as they went on. So you can say by 84, yeah, the NBA kind of is, is there. It's The boom is starting at that time period for sure. Um, it's like we're in it. Um, so the point of this series right now is to kind of talk about the players or not kind of to talk about the players, you know, that shined before there was a Michael Jordan and before there was, you know, when, when Larry Bird and Magic were like the two guys in the NBA and even during the time when they were the two guys in the NBA, there were other people, there were other stars, there were other people that contributed to championships and that were all stars and all NBA players. And many of them we have forgotten about because they weren't a part of the golden era of the NBA. So we're going to talk about or or if they were a part of the golden era of the NBA, like their career was winding down, you know. And so we weren't we, we, we didn't care about them because they weren't stars anymore. So, the, um, like I said, on this card, you got Fred Brown, Larry Bird, and Ron Brewer. So, we're going to start off talking about Fred Brown. Fred Brown is an interesting person um, on an interesting team that I love to talk about. Um, he was a part of the 1979 Seattle Supersonics team that won the NBA championship. Um, and during that time, he was kind of like starting the, the downside of his career. Um his first season was 1971-72 in Seattle, and he came out of Iowa. He was a, a star there, and he was the first pick of, check that, the sixth pick of the NBA draft in 1971. Uh, real quick, just to see who was drafted in 1971 in the NBA, the number one pick was Austin Carr for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, number two, Sidney Wicks. Number three, Elmore Smith. But Portland selected Sidney Wicks out of UCLA. He was a big star there. And UCLA was just a powerhouse during that time period. Buffalo Braves, now the um, LA Clippers, selected Elmore Smith. Cincinnati selected Ken Durrett. George Trapp of Atlanta was selected. And then you had Fred Brown. Oh, wow. Um... You know, this draft right here, the best players that um, were selected that we probably know that you've heard of. Uh, Artist Gilmore was selected in the second round with the 117th pick out of Jacksonville University. He's a Hall of Famer. He's probably a name if you're a basketball fan, you've heard of at least uh, 17.1 points, 10.1 rebounds per game for his entire career. He has some monstrous rebounding seasons um, during his career. Another player that you may have heard of is um, Spencer Haywood, who was drafted number one, or not, I, I keep saying number one, number 30 in the first round. And he was drafted by Buffalo as well. And he had career averages of 19.2 points per game and 9.3 rebounds per game in a 12-year career. Now, going back to Fred Brown, Fred Brown, um, who once again drafted number six, his first year, he really didn't do much. 33 games, averaged 4.2 points per game. Um, he became an all-star during the 75-76 season, 
with the Seattle Supersonics, and that's the best uh, individual season that he ever had. He averaged 23.1 points per game, uh, shot 48% from the field, which at that time, actually, yeah, at that time it was his career high, um, and he made 86% of his free throw shots. So he was just a very, very proficient and accurate shooter. Um, his nickname was Downtown uh, Fred Brown because he was a deep shooter. Um, and this was when he was in the league from seventy, from the 71-72 season to the 78-79 season, the three-point line didn't exist. And this guy, had the three-point line existed, you know, probably would have definitely scored more points and um, just would have helped advance the three-point shot. But by the time it came around, he was 31 years old, and it was new uh, to the NBA. It had been around in the ABA, but it was new to the NBA. Uh, so, like I said, he was an all-star in his uh, fifth season. He was 27 years old, once again, averaging 23 points per game, 23.1 points per game. That was, once again, the 75-76 season. Um, during that year, uh, Seattle made the playoffs. They made the playoffs in 75 uh, the year before. And in 76, they repeated it, it. But in 75, they made the second round, the Western Conference. Um, uh, and they made it to the second round. And then the... Um, in 76, they were put out after one round against Phoenix. So Seattle really got on a roll in 75. I mean, in 78, where they made the Western Conference Finals uh, and then the NBA Finals. Uh, they beat Denver in the Western Conference Finals four games to two after beating L.A. in the first round two games to one. Um it was best <laughs> best two best three two out of three in that year. Um in seventy eight they beat um Portland in the second round, four games to two. Denver in the Western Conference Finals, four games to two, and then Washington Bullets, they lost in a seven game series. And Fred Brown uh you know was was doing his thing. He averaged nineteen point one points in the NBA finals, which is pretty good, shot forty five percent. Uh, during that time period, 79 was the year where Seattle won the championship. Once again, they beat L.A. in the first round again, four games to one. This is the year before uh, Magic Johnson got there. So 78-79 season, the Sonics toppled L.A. for the second straight year, four games to one. Uh, then in the second round, they beat Phoenix in a seven-game series in the Western Conference Finals. Um, <clears throat> and then... They go on to face the Washington Bullets again for the second straight year and win. They win in five games. And uh, Freddie Brown, uh, just, you know, during that series, actually, the year they won a championship, he wasn't the go-to guy as far as scoring anymore. Um, but still, you know, he pitched in, averaged 9.2 points per game during the NBA Finals and shot 48% from the field. The thing about that Seattle team in 79 is that they were very, very um, much a collective of guys. It wasn't about one star. It was about the group. 
Uh, Lenny Wilkins was the coach, and that's kind of how he coached throughout his career. He really wasn't about having one guy score 30 points and everybody else kind of watching him score. It was more so about a group of guys that could come together, gel offensively and defensively, and um, put their opponents away together on a collective basis. So, um, you know, the top guy at that time in 79 was Gus Williams, who averaged 19.2 points per game. But during the season, Fred Brown was the fourth leading scorer of the team, averaging 14 points per game. He was 30 years old that season. Also, two Hall of Famers on this team, Jack Sigma and Dennis Johnson. Uh, Sigma averaged 15.6 points, and he was 23 years old. Dennis Johnson uh, averaged about, what, 15.9 points per game that year. So it was just a very balanced scoring attack. Another player to mention was Lonnie Shelton, who averaged 13.5 points per game. But let's talk about Fred Brown and his 1980-81 season real fast before we move forward. And once again, this was like um, the year where you you know, like he's like on a, um, I guess, a, uh, the back end of his career. You know, we, we look at guys like LeBron and, and Kobe and people these days or, you know, in recent years who play with well into their 30s and average 25 points per game. And we just think that, oh, everyone should do that. And um, even to this day, like everybody can't do that. You know, special players do that. But also back in the 80s, especially in the 70s, man. Once you cross 30, man, it was just like a downhill thing. And it was very rare for anybody to become like to have the best years of their career in their 30s. It just wasn't that way Um, for various reasons. um, You know, medicine has advanced and and treatments have advanced. Uh, Concentration on the sport has advanced where you had guys, you know, that played in the 60s that had part time jobs, you know. Um, and so we're not far removed from that in 1979, 1980, 81. Um, the 80-81 season for Fred Brown, um, let's see, he actually averaged 15.5 points per game, which was the final season that he would average as much. Um, the next two years, he averaged 11.2 and 10.2. And then the final season in 1983-84, he averaged 8.5 points per game. But in 80-81, he did average 15.5 points per game. It was a bit of a uh, revival for him as a player uh, after averaging 12 points per game the year before. He hadn't averaged as many points since uh, 1978. So uh, 48% from the field he shot. He shot uh, 35% from three the year before. The first year the three-point shot, Fred Brown was the league leader with a 44%, 44.3%, 3 Um, So I guess he's the first person to ever lead the NBA in three-point shooting. Um, so, yeah, so in 80-81, he, he did his thing with 15.5 points per game. Uh, let's see what's a big game he had that season. Um... 28 points. He scored 28 points two times that year. One of those games was against Portland. It was a 13-point win. And um, another game against Denver, which was an eight-point loss. And this uh, 28-point performance that he had, it came early in the season, October 26, 1980. And on this team, here we go. We got Fred Brown with 28 points. 
and Vinnie Johnson, who is known as the microwave, was a young player with Seattle at the time. He scored 18 points. Lonnie Shelton had 18, Jack Sigma 17, and John Johnson scored 16. Another player on this team is James Donaldson, who also will become an all-star later in the 80s. He was a young player at the time. Um, but yeah, Vinnie Johnson started his career with Seattle and was traded um, to the Pistons early in the uh, 80s and did not want to play for Detroit, <laughs> but became a legend in Detroit. Um so it's just ironic how things happen. The 81-82 season, you know, Seattle wasn't too far removed from its championship in 79. But Detroit, no one thought Detroit would become a champion, which it did later in the 80s. <clears throat> and Vinnie Johnson was one of those people who thought, yeah, this ain't happening. But he goes to Detroit and, and becomes a, a, a legend there. Like, it just, you know, he never was an all-star, but he's a legend because he was a big-time scorer off the bench and helped Detroit win championships. All right, so uh, once more, back to this game right here. Um, like I said, Fred Brown, 13 for 24 in this game, 54%, 28 points. Another player in this game is a player that's on this card that we're talking about, Ron Brewer. All right, so I guess, you know what? We can wrap up talking about Fred Brown. Fred Brown was a great long-distance shooter before long-distance shooting was a thing. Um, and he helped Seattle win a championship, the only championship that it ever won, uh, and it got to the finals twice uh, while he was there and actually never made the finals again until the mid-'90s when Sean Kemp and Gary Payton was around. Uh, so Fred Brown is definitely an important player in Seattle Supersonics history. Um, also, during his time there, they made it to the Western Conference Finals Four straight years, I want to say four straight years, was it? 78, 79, 80. Yeah, three straight years. Sorry about that. Because, um, yeah, in 79, they won the championship. And in 80, they lost in the Western Conference Finals to L.A. in Magic's rookie year. So, um, 80-81, I don't know if Seattle made the playoffs that year. Unfortunately, I don't think they did. But I could be wrong. Yeah, they went 34 and 48. So they had a losing record, which was rare during that time period. Um, so let's go on and we can talk about uh, Larry Bird before we talk about Ron Brewer. <clears throat> now, we said, once again, this series is about the players that you may not remember. Of course, everybody remembers Larry Bird and being able to get one of the cards with Bird on it is a big get for me. Um, of course, I'm a fan, but as a collector, definitely want to get cards of value. Um, you know, you get cards that you like, of course, but you want to get cards of value so that you're not um, just wasting space and time or whatever, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bird actually was in his second season in the 80-81 season. I was always interested in what he did his first game ever, though. So I, I went back to the 80-81 season, or I'm sorry, the 79-80 season, um, to just see what he did in his first game because whoever talks about Larry Bird's first game, also going back to a previous point, it was the dark ages of the NBA. Um, so 
nobody, you know, during Larry Bird's first game, yeah, people were excited to see him play. But at the same time, the NBA was not on a national deal like it was. Like, there were nationally televised games, but every game wasn't televised in every market, you know, like it is today. So, you know, there were people around the country that didn't see Larry Bird play his first game and had to hear about it. Um, His first game was played October 12, 1979 in Boston against the Houston Rockets. And from what I hear... Before he came out, he was the you know national player of the year. Went all the way to the uh, NCAA finals with Indiana State, a team that has not sniffed the NCAA finals <laughs> since Larry Bird left. Um, he, you know, was just this player that was just people were excited to see what he was going to do. Um, and unfortunately, the stigma about white players, oh. You know, he's good in college, but he won't be good in in the pros. You know, some people thought that. Even some people in Boston thought that until they were, you know, definitely proven wrong right away when they saw him practice. Like, oh, this guy's a different kind of animal. Um, so his first game, the ball boy for the Celtics, basically, according to a news article I read, released a white dove in the facility in the Boston Garden. And, you know, that's how they kicked off Larry Bird's career. And Larry, unfortunately, was in foul trouble that game, but he was able to contribute in a, in a comeback and a, a rally and actually put Boston ahead and allow them to win the game against Houston. Um, he had 14 points and 10 rebounds in his first game and five assists. He shot six of 12 from the field. Um, and the Celtics won by eight points. <clears throat> now, Larry Bird was in foul trouble, so he felt like, hey, I didn't get to do my thing because I was in foul trouble. Well, the next game, he did his thing, and this is, once again, his rookie year, October 13th, 1979, at Cleveland. The Celtics, the next day, go down and beat Cleveland by 22 points. Larry Bird scores 28, um, had seven rebounds, five assists, uh, two steals and um, knocked down 12 of 17 shots at 70% um, and just destroyed the Cavaliers. And the Celtics actually won their first four games with Larry Bird, lost two, and then won about six more. So they started off the season 10 and 2, and they were on their way. Um, back to relevance because they had had a bad season a year before and that was rare in Celtics history. So uh, it was just an a interesting time to look back and, and see what how his career kicked off. So he only scored over 20 points in one of his first four games. Um, however, during his rookie year, Bird averaged 21 points. 21.3 points, 10.4 rebounds, and four and a half assists per game. Also, 1.7 steals, and he played all 82 games, uh, shooting 47% from the field and 40% from three. He didn't shoot a ton of threes his rookie year. Uh, once again, the three-point shot just was brand new to the league, uh, pretty much. So, you know, he took 143 attempts and made 58 of them, and. Crazy as it sounds, 143 attempts was a lot uh, during the first year. And think about this. Larry Bird, after that, from 80 
from the 80-81 season to the 83-84 season never took more than 77 attempts from three. Uh, never shot more than one three per game uh, on average. Um, in those four years, you think of him as a three-point shooter, but in after his first year, um, in years two through five, he never shot over 28% from three and never shot over 77 threes in a year. And then after that is when he changed um, his, you know, he added to his repertoire, I should say, the three-point shot on a consistent basis and shot more threes than most players uh, <laughs> did in their career prior to that in a season. Um, so, yeah, we go to the 80-81 season. Bird is it, it becomes an NBA champion. Uh, his team beats Houston the team he played his first game against. Uh, they beat Houston in the NBA Finals. Um, the Celtics finished 62-20 and 20 during his second year. And in that season, uh, the Celtics acquire a rookie named Kevin McHale. They also acquire a center uh, named Robert Parrish, who spent his first three seasons in Oakland. Uh, with the Warriors. And the Celtics go on and they win uh, the NBA Finals once again against the Houston Rockets, four games to two. Houston had Moses Malone on their squad, who was just killing everybody. <laughs> and he's, uh, I think, a three-time MVP in his own right. Um, Larry actually... Didn't win the finals MVP, uh, contrary to popular belief. Um, yeah, the finals MVP for the 81 season uh, was the 80-81 season was Cedric Maxwell. It was him who rose up to the occasion, became a leader. He was in his third year while Larry Bird was in his first, uh, second, actually. Uh, let's say that right. He was in his fourth year. While Larry Bird was in his second. Um, so, you know, Cedric Maxwell definitely was a confident ball player. He wasn't the number one option, but when it was time and you needed him to step up, and if, you know, Larry was having a rare cold day, Cedric Maxwell was very reliable, very tough, and um, ready and willing to lead his team to victory. Um, so he was the finals MVP, but Bird <clears throat> definitely um, put his mark on the league as a, as a ball player in his second year. Um, if I didn't give the stats already, his second year stats, pretty much comparable to his first year, uh, 21.2 points per game, 10.9 rebounds, five and a half assists, two steals. Uh, shot 47.8% from the field and 86.3% um, from the free throw line. Larry Bird would do nothing but just get better and better throughout the years. Uh, just, you know, you we all heard the stories. We all know about the legend of that is Larry Bird. <clears throat> so it's just a, a, pl a pleasure to have this card 
uh, one of the Larry Bird rookies from the 80-81 season. I didn't plan on getting it. I just happened to stroll into a card shop. And I want to say it wasn't even out. Um, it was an upscale shop called Midwest Cards um, in Columbus, Ohio. And he had a lot of expensive cards, uh, valuable cards out. And uh, the owner, one of the owners went to the back and was just like, let me see if I can find something else for you. And he came out uh, with a Pete Maravich card, which is the first ever Pete Maravich card I think I've ever owned. If I can recall, I might have had one long ago, but I don't think so. Um, and a Dominique Wilkins card I got uh, from the mid 80s. And then this Larry Bird card with Fred Brown and Ron Brewer. And we will talk about Ron Brewer to wrap things up. Ron Brewer, he's a player that I heard about as a kid because he played for the Cavaliers and I'm from Cleveland. And I think he played for the Cavs on two different occasions. He ended his career there in the 85-86 season. But he played there also uh, from 81 to 83 parts of both seasons because I think he was traded to Cleveland during the 81-82 season and traded from Cleveland <laughs> during the 82-83 season. Uh, Ron Brewer is a shooting guard or was a shooting guard. He's still alive, but he was a shooting guard uh, in the NBA. Uh, six foot four, was drafted first round of the 1978 Draft, which also uh, Larry Bird, I think, was selected in. Uh, Ron Brewer was a the seventh pick of that draft by the Portland Trailblazers, and he was drafted. Um, okay, so how this works? I just said Larry Bird was drafted in seventy eight, but Larry Bird didn't play until seventy nine eighty. He elected to go back to college. After being drafted, he had a year of eligibility and said, you know what, I'm going back. So he went back to college and Boston just held on to his rights. Uh, so Ron Brewer was the pick right after Larry Bird uh, for Portland. Now, here's how the 78 draft went. You have Michael Thompson, whose rookie card I just scored, but it's a little damaged. So I'm a little down on that. But uh, Michael Thompson was the number one pick of that, that draft uh, center out of Minnesota. And he's more so these days known as Clay Thompson's dad. But he had a really good NBA career, uh, won a championship with the Lakers, uh, maybe even two, um, and averaged 13.7 points for his career. Um, number two, Phil Ford out of North Carolina, who had a short career, played seven years, averaged 11.6 points per game, uh, was drafted by the Kansas City Kings, now the Sacramento Kings. Indiana drafted Rick Roby out of Kentucky. Um, he played eight years, 7.6 points per game. Didn't really um, have a big, make a big splash as a star, but he lasted eight seasons. Michael Ray Richardson, who we talked about in a previous episode, actually the one before this, um, drafted by the Knicks, number four pick from Montana of all places. Um, but he played eight years in the NBA, was an all-star multiple times, and averaged 14.8 points and 5.5 rebounds and seven assists per game. Uh, was just a great talent at his best, 
but fell victim to substance abuse. Uh, number five was Purvis Short out of Jackson State University. Uh, he played 12 years, averaged 17.3 points per game, had a solid career. Um, and then you had Larry Bird, 13-year career. Um, of course, we all know what he did, 24.3 points per game, multiple-time MVP, three-time NBA champ. No upset about him. And then Ron Brewer selected right after. So the, the, if the trivia question is who is selected right after Larry Bird, it is Ron Brewer. If you're uh, ever playing in a contest and someone asks you that question, he averaged 11.9 points per game in eight seasons. And um, his best season, Ron Brewer's best season, came during the 1981-82 season, which is right after the year we're going to talk about. So actually, let me check that. Um, no, that's right. That's right. 81-82, Ron Brewer played for Sacramento, not Sacramento, San Antonio and Cleveland. In 25 games with San Antonio, he averaged 17.8 points per game. And in 47 games in Cleveland, he averaged 19.4 points per game. Uh, so he really did well with the Cavaliers that year. And overall, 18.8 points per game. Shot 47% from the field, 81% from the free throw line. Um <clears throat> You know, looked like he was an up-and-coming player in the league at 26 years old. Had a lot of basketball left in him. But he never hit those numbers again. He never averaged more than 11 points per game in a season. Prior to the 81-82 season in 80-81 uh, with the Spurs because he was traded during the season from Portland who drafted him to the San Antonio Spurs um, in 80-81 he averaged 8.6 points per game, seven and a half in 29 games with Portland, shooting a miserable 38% from the field. Um, but in uh, when he got to San Antonio, things got better. Shot 46% from the field in the last 46 games and averaged 9.2 points per game um, as a contributor uh, off of the bench. Now let's see who Portland traded Ron Brewer for because they, I'm sure they had big plans for Ron Brewer. Actually, Ron Brewer shined in the playoffs with Portland um, in 79 and in 80. So <clears throat> his first two seasons in Portland, 78-79, averaged 13.3 points as a rookie, uh, making the all-rookie team in 78-79. 79-80, averaged 15.7 points per game. Um, and so those couple years, he went to the playoffs with Portland. They were put out in round one, both times. He averaged 17.7 the first year as a rookie in the playoffs. And then the second year, uh, and he shot 56%, which is pretty good in a three game loss to Port, uh, Seattle, not Seattle and three game loss to Phoenix. Uh, and then the next year, let me, yeah, two games to one. Lost to Phoenix. And then the next year against Seattle in 80, they lost two games to one, uh, where he averaged 19 points per game on 42% shooting. With uh, San Antonio in the 80-81 season, the Spurs made the playoffs. <clears throat> Ron Brewer was a part of that run. That was his first year in San Antonio. So, um with the Spurs, 
He helped guide them to the playoffs. Um, he averaged, like I said before, just 9.2 points that year with the Spurs. But in the playoffs, he averaged 11 points per game um, and played a contributing role with them. Uh, but they lost in the um, what would be called the Western Conference semifinal, but you know, it was the opening round of the playoffs to Houston, four games to three. Um, now, you know what? I could be wrong. No, they didn't lose in the opening round. They lost in the semifinals. They had a bye. Back then, teams got byes uh, if they had, you know, good records. So Houston had to play to get to the semifinals. San Antonio was waiting for them with a 52-30 and 30 record, but they lost three games or four games to three to Houston uh, as Houston was on its way to the NBA Finals. And I think Houston even had a losing record that year. On that team with Ron Brewer, the star, of course, George Gervin, 28-year-old George Gervin, averaging 27 points per game that year. Um, so Ron Brewer was just one of the guys pitching in, helping the Spurs get to the playoffs. The next season, Ron Brewer would um, contribute more before being traded, like we said before, averaging 17.8 points per game. Um, he actually ended up back in San Antonio at the end of his career, sort of, kind of. Um, well, no. Yeah, he did. He had it, He ended up back in San Antonio um, but he went a lot of other places too. Um, so he ended up back in San Antonio in 83-84. Um, and after, actually, you know what? I, I meant to see who Portland traded Brewer for. Uh, so let's go there real fast. Um, during December 19th, 1980, Portland traded Mike Brewer to the Spurs for Mike Gale and a first-round draft pick. And with that first-round draft pick, Ricky Pierce was selected. So, uh, and I don't think they drafted Ricky Pierce. They ended up trading that pick, and it ended up going to Detroit somehow, where Ricky Pierce played as a rookie. And a lot of people don't remember that at all. <laughs> so, uh, getting back on task with Ron Brewer, <clears throat> so he was traded for Mike Gale and um, then he ended up in San Antonio and they traded him with Reggie Johnson to the Cavs for Mike Mitchell and Roger Fegley. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of guys that you just don't remember. Uh, but, you know, they were players during their time period and they were pretty good. Um, the great trade that we can talk about. Actually, he was traded for some interesting people. <clears throat> so in 82, the Cavs traded um, Ron Brewer to the Golden State Warriors for World Be Free, straight up. And if I'm, man, why did Golden State do that? Um, well, I guess at the time, Ron Brewer was playing the best basketball he'd ever played. Um, but World Be Free, man, he was a scorer. However, Maybe there uh, there was always rumors that World Be Free was people there was problems with World Be Free in Golden State and I'm not sure maybe it was because Golden State just wasn't winning, um, but yeah, Golden uh, World Be Free would go on to Cleveland and you know 
thrive and and have a, a solid run helping the team even make the playoffs for the first time in a while. Um, another interesting time that Ron Brewer was traded, he was traded um, to the San Antonio Spurs where he went back in 85 and he was traded for a second round draft pick. So 84, January 20th, 84, the Warriors trade Ron Brewer to the Spurs for a second round draft pick. Guess who that draft pick ended up being? Time's up. Manute Bowl. Bowl Bowl's daddy. <laughs> so Manute Bowl, of all players, uh, was drafted and was a part of the Ron Brewer trade eventually. Uh, so that's a cool fact right there. All right. So just wrapping up things with Ron Brewer, he um, finished his career after uh, it was eight seasons in 85-86 with Cleveland, but he actually ended up playing with the New Jersey Nets during the 84-85 season. So San Antonio had had enough with him again in 84-85, and I think they released him in New Jersey, signed him as a free agent, because in San Antonio he was only averaging 3.7 points per game, shooting 38% in nine games. So they said, all right, enough of you. He goes to New Jersey and actually um, does well. Scores, uh, comes off the bench in 11 games, averages 10.4 points per game. Um, and shot 58%. And this was like his last good stretch of basketball for his career. Because over the next couple seasons, or actually the next season was his last season. Uh, where he played for Chicago and Cleveland and, and really didn't do much. But he did have a last hurrah in the NBA playoffs uh, with the Nets. They lost in three games to the Detroit Pistons, and um, Ron Brewer actually did well. He played three games um, and scored 12 points per game and shot 50% from the field. Um, during his career in four NBA playoff series, 16 games, Ron Brewer averaged 14.1 points and shot 48% from the field in the playoffs. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. It's just, unfortunately, he was just moved around a lot and um, his minutes kind of went up and down <laughs> in various places. <clears throat> so, um, you know, career-wise, 11.9 points per game, not too shabby. 501 career games. And, um, you know, he was pretty much a, a bit of a journeyman after, um, you know, the hopes were high for him in Portland. So that's Ron Brewer. Uh, came out of Arkansas and during his college days. But, yeah, um, we appreciate you guys for listening to my basketball mm -hmm. cards. You know, once more, just happy to have this um, Larry Bird card featuring Fred Brown and Ron Brewer. Just really cool to have this card in my possession. And uh, maybe one day we'll get that Bird Dr. J Magic card too. We'll see. We'll see. You never know. Never know. I didn't know I would get this. I didn't know I was going to get a Pete Maravich card over the weekend as well. So we'll be back. Uh, once again, great to be here uh, in the month of June in 2021. Um, you know, the year is just progressing. Things are just, you know, not as miserable, I guess, as a society as we we um, had it last year, you know, there are things better that could get better in life. However, 
um, you know, I can't complain about too much personally. So thank you guys for listening and um, looking forward to give you more episodes.